You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me is always Rob Rang. Hope everybody had a safe weekend. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. It's been a pretty crazy past 48 hours for the NFL. Just one day after players came out on a united front on Twitter, including several Seahawks headlined by Russell Wilson, Dwayne Brown, and Tyler Lockett, the NFL and NFL Players Association have made notable progress today with the league set to conduct daily testing at the start of training camp. Rob, this seemed to me like the biggest issue that the players in the league had to sort out, aside obviously from the financial stuff. That's going to be difficult in the next couple of days trying to figure all those things out. But players were adamant that they wanted to be tested daily. The league was kind of brushing that aside, saying we're going to do every other day. And they decided for now to do daily testing to me this is a really big first step given all the issues that need to be sorted out before football can return. Yeah, I agree with you, Corb. I think that is a critical step. I think that it, it's an indication that the NFL is listening to the players, and I'm happy that you mentioned kind of the united front that uh, the, the Seahawks and, and lots of other players throughout the league, uh, all 32 NFL teams, all 32, excuse me, NFL teams had players represented, um, and some of the, the league's biggest superstars. You mentioned Russell Wilson and some of the other Seahawks, but you know guys like uh, Drew Brees and, and J.J. Watts, some of the real leaders of the of the league and and all of those players basically coming to the NFL and saying look we are essentially demanding you know daily testing and and for that agreement to come uh, to fruition today um, the NFL Players Association sending out an email just moments literally before we started recording our podcast they Corbin with the NFL Players Association uh, you know basically confirming that this agreement has been made um, that there will be daily testing and so I think that is a critical first step for for sports to return um, at the same time, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all works out, um, including with the rookie training camp. I know there's a lot, of t- a lot of players out there or a lot of teams out there that were eagerly looking forward to their rookies coming in, but that doesn't appear to be the case with the Seahawks. Yeah, Bob Condota of the Seattle Times reporting this just before we started recording that the Seahawks are not planning to have their rookies report tomorrow as scheduled. Now, it could only be a day or two delay, especially with the testing information that has come out today, but they're not going to be bringing those players in on the 21st as originally scheduled. Maybe it'll be the 22nd or 23rd. We'll just have to wait and see what happens here in the next 24 hours because there are a lot of other things that need to be figured out between the league and the players' union. But some fine details here. Players are not going to be allowed into their team facility until they've had two negative tests. So this is going to safeguard against the first one not being accurate. We've seen some false negative tests. We've seen false positive tests. So they're making sure players have two of them before they get into the facility. And players are going to be tested on day one and four of camp. So you're going to get two days of remote education in between. They're not going to be in the facility. So those hoping for on-field stuff, you're not going to be seeing that for a little while here. And getting that extra day in there is going to help make sure that they capture the virus as it incubates. And so I think that this everything right now is set up for this to be 
a successful testing run through. Obviously, there's going to be reservations the entire time about, you know, is a player going to get exposed at some point? But at least for the first two weeks, this is going to be the ideal circumstance to make sure that they can get this thing rolling in the start of training camp. And then hopefully that gives them a better chance of being able to get through the entire season. Yeah, I agree with you. I, mean, I think that, that that's one of the reasons why I mentioned with uh, the, you know, the, the possible changes to, to Seattle when they want those the rookie players to come in. You know, I, I think of it, Corbin is, you know, we're both, in your case, a former teacher, in my case, uh, currently still a teacher. And, you know, everybody's kind of talking about, will will students come back to school? Well, to me, there's a very similar thing here in that oftentimes you, you want to have the, the younger kiddos kind of come back to school, like at the high school age, for example, the freshmen come in just to kind to get that orientation well the the nfl and the nfl player association here are, are showing the ability to, to kind of adapt showing some uh ability to, to just recognizing this is a fluid situation you are going to have to make some adjustments so i'm happy that you mentioned about like the the two consecutive days of uh, of negative testing that players are going to have to have because it is an acknowledgement that there are going to be mistakes if there is a false positive or a false negative then be able to kind of make that correction rather than, than risking the the health of the entire franchise so to me again going back to the, the whole school you know comparison is i think that you are going to see some teams who then might think hey let's bring our veteran players in because they know a little bit more of how we traditionally do things rather than the rookie players and then be able to indoctrinate the entire group at the same time rather than just putting one group at, 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 in, at one group in front of the other. I'll be curious to see how every team does this because we've seen the reports. Teams are talking different kinds of training camp structures, different kinds of protocols. So they needed to have a united plan. And it sounds like today that they've been able to make a lot of progress on that. One more note here. Once the threshold of positive tests goes below 5%, the NFL per the agreement that's been reported will move to testing every other day. So they're not going to be doing every single day throughout the entire season unless they're having a lot of trouble with players testing positive. If that continues to be an issue, then we might have some other things that we have to worry about, like not having a season. But they're hoping that after an initial couple weeks here that they'll be able to have this under control and thus they won't have to test players every single day. It keeps the expense down to an extent. And as you mentioned, it's a fluid situation, and it needs to be because the league is not operating in a bubble like the NBA is where they're keeping players isolated from the rest of the world. The NFL is not doing that. Major League Baseball is not doing that. And so they're going to have different measures that they're going to have to institute for this to have any chance of working. It's certainly a big breakthrough, but as I mentioned, there's still plenty left to be sorted out as teams start to bring rookies in for camp, veterans are going to be reporting soon. There's still not an agreed plan on opt-outs if a player doesn't want to play right now because of safety concerns. The number of preseason games remain up in the air. I was told earlier today, very unlikely there are any preseason games, but we'll see if the NFL allows that to happen. Camp structure is still unclear. Financial aspect without having fans in the stands. Oh, and face shields. I mean, there's just so much left to figure out, but we can't understate the importance that getting this testing protocols taken care of, safety protocols, stuff like that, being taken care of and agreed upon, that is really truly a big first step towards getting football back on the field. 
Yeah, it's the critical step. It's the one that had to be made. To me, it, there's nothing, no other conversation needs to take place until you establish your testing protocol just to establish your, your initial baseline. Um, and so kudos to both the league and to the Player Association for being able to come to this agreement. The, you know, the, the time to act is right now, and they've done so. So at least it gives you some hope that, uh, that, that we're going to be able to get back to football here soon. When we come back for the second quarter, we're getting back into our season schedule. It's time for our Monday mailbag here on Locked on Seahawks. We'll be right back. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate, and all the parts are available for your vehicle. Choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked in in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, along with Rob Rang. Later in the third quarter, we're going to be continuing our breakout player series. We're going to look at one offensive and one defensive player that could be in for a big 2020 season for the Seahawks as we approach training camp. But before we get there, we've got a bunch of mailbag questions from our listeners. A lot of questions about whether or not the season can happen. If we didn't touch your question and it was on that topic, our apologies. We want to make sure we hit on a number of different topics. We'll make sure to talk about that plenty. And that leads into the first question here from Chris Holmes. And he tweets, Russell Wilson has expressed concern rightfully about playing amid COVID, especially with his wife pregnant. Do you think he'd sit out the season? And also, do you think if enough high-profile players sat out, the NFL would finally cancel the season? This is a very valid question. I actually had a writer for the Seahawks Maven, Colby Patnode, that wrote an article a couple days ago, what a doomsday scenario would look like if Wilson decided to opt out. Personally, Rob, I can't see him doing that, but his tweet yesterday certainly indicates that that's been something that has at least crossed his mind given the safety concerns. Yeah, I think that it's unlikely just because the, the you know, the same things, the same characteristics that, that, have, that everybody can see with Russell Wilson that makes him so great that he is so hyper competitive. He is willing to, to work as hard as, as just about anybody I've ever seen in professional athletics. Uh, all those reasons why that you think that of course Russell Wilson is going to play this year. But at the same time, it's a very valid question. Uh, and then our listener, Chris Holmes, thank you for asking, you know, especially the fact that, that, you know, there is a pregnancy, uh, you know, this is a family that could be compromised. And so uh, on the one hand, I think that there is no chance that, that Russell Wilson would miss any opportunity to play anything ever. But at the same time, this is a very, very real conversation that he and his wife have to be having amongst themselves. And, you know, frankly, as much as I want to see number three on the field for the Seahawks, if he were to step away, I certainly will understand and I would uh, support him 100% in that choice. Yeah, I don't think anybody could blame him if he 
decided, you know what, this is too much risk with my family right now. I'm going to step away. He's made a ton of money the last few years. But again, as you mentioned, we're talking about such a hyper-competitive athlete in Russell Wilson. And the fact that he's been out throwing passes with receivers, Antonio Brown was there a few weeks ago, doesn't look like that's probably going to be happening at this stage if, if you actually take his retirement tweets with any seriousness, which I really don't. But the fact of the matter is he's been out doing group workouts when the NFL Players Association was advising players not to do so. So I find it very hard to believe that he's not going to be out there. But at the second part of that question, about enough high-profile players sitting out, that absolutely could put the NFL in a spot where they feel compelled to cancel. If you have a bunch of franchise quarterbacks, for example, step away and say, you know what, I love football, but no, this is not worth it to me, risking the health of my family members and other people around me, my own health. If that happens, even if you have a bunch of receivers that step away, if there are a bunch of stars, I expect there will be a couple stars no matter what that are not going to play given circumstances, but a lot of it hinges on what they determine for the opt-out policy. Are they going to make them make that decision by August 1st and rush into it? I mean, we don't know how any of that's going to play out, but I certainly think it's possible that you could have some high-profile guys decide not to play, and if enough of them don't play, that certainly creates an issue for the NFL. At the same time, there's always a lot of guys that feel their NFL caliber that don't make rosters, and those guys – If they see an opportunity to play, then they'll step in and they'll play. And so uh, it's a very interesting dynamic. The Real Luigi tweets, with facilities opening up soon, do you anticipate Seattle will sign a free agent in the next few weeks? We've talked about this a couple times, Rob. I would think if teams can reopen their facility, that that's going to open the door for some of these veterans that haven't signed yet to, to latch on with another team. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, you know, if the if the franchises are able to open up and, and have a training camp as, as close to normal as possible, then I would expect that, that teams are also going to be exploring the, the free agent opportunities that are out there. Um, now, we all know how aggressive the John Schneider has been. And so I certainly think that that he is going to want to to try to use some of that uh, salary cap flexibility that the club has, has created for itself. I mean, there's obviously some very intriguing free agents out there, not the least of which is Jadavion Clowney. So I think all of those things are a possibility, but at the same time, I think, again, kind of going back to the school metaphor I used before, I think that there is going to be a push by every one of the 32 franchises to make sure that they protect their own first before they try to bring anybody in. So I, I think that you will hear about some teams that are showing some interest in players, but until they feel like they've got COVID figured out, then I don't know that there's going to be a lot of teams bringing in free agents just to get get the, the medical checkups that, that they have to have before they would even consider signing a player. Yeah, this is not a normal year. All of us know that. And you're not going to be bringing players in. I mean, we've seen this over the years that Pete Carroll will sign a veteran at the start of training camp, a veteran or two that can just come in, throw pads on and be ready to go. That is not how this year is going to function. These players, I would assume, based on what we've learned today, they're going to have to pass two tests before they're even allowed into the facility. So I'm wondering how does that work during the regular season if you're needing to bring in a player, if you've had some injuries at the running back position, for example, and you're trying to sign a veteran running back to fill in, does that guy have to wait till like Thursday till he can be on the practice field? I mean, there are certainly plenty of questions remaining, but 
we've got a while till week one. So I do anticipate that some of these veteran defensive tackles we've talked about, like Damon Harrison, Mike Daniels, Jadevian Clowney at the end position, Everson Griffin, players like that that still haven't signed with anyone. I would think that there's going to be an acceleration in getting those guys on teams once it's apparent that they are actually going to give this a go and training camps are going to start. It's just going to be a more drawn-out process than normal. Hayden Wong, do you believe the Hawks are finished with any attempts to sign or trade for a player as the list of tasks to begin the season pile up? Or can Schneider manage to sneak something in at the last minute? So this is really talking about the whole blockbuster trade scenario. I don't know about you, Rob, but especially this year – given the fact that there hasn't been much player movement for the last month and a half, I think that you're actually looking at a higher probability that some deals could be made before the season starts. You know, I think that's absolutely the case. Yeah. I think that there's going to be a lot of general managers right now who are ultra competitive. Like we're talking about with Russell Wilson and they are basically just chomping at the bit to be able to kind of make some moves and, and help their, help their team, especially if they have a feeling that, that, you know, there's certain uh, glut of, of, of players at a certain position that, that may be struggling with, with, with COVID or, or any other injury questions that the team might have. And, you know, it's a great question, but I think that the, that John Schneider has shown a track record for waiting for the last minute, so to speak, many times in the past. You know, you think that the the trades for Dwayne Brown, the trades for Marshawn Lynch were, were during the season. Obviously, Jadavion Clowney was right as the season was beginning. So, uh, you know, at at this point, and, you know, I guess it's late July, but it's certainly not uh, the last second. And, and I think that Schneider has just shown his willingness to, to basically investigate any and all opportunities, including during the summer. I think the two names we have to throw out here, obviously Chris Jones getting re-signed to a four-year deal with the Chiefs. He's off the table now, but I'm actually going to throw three names out there. I think Matt Judon is unlikely. I think that the two names you have to look at, Jamal Adams, who I reported, as well as Jay Keeps of ESPN 710, the Seahawks have interest in and have had some discussions with the Jets about. I think that that is still a possibility, especially if Quentin Dunbar is not going to be available You want to get as much talent in that secondary as you can. And we're talking about a player that's still not even 25 years old that was a first-team All-Pro last year. And then, of course, Yannick Ngakwe, who we have talked about ad nauseum on this show throughout the offseason, whether Seattle would trade for him or not. He did not sign his franchise tag tender, so he is in the same spot that Clowney was in last year. Will the Jaguars have to get rid of him at the end of camp like what Houston did with Clowney. And if that's the case, will it be for a lower price than they want? That could make John Schneider very interested in going in, swooping in, and making a deal. So those, again, are the two names that make a lot of sense here. Didi Zagal tweets, who were you most excited about at the time when the Seahawks traded for them, Percy Harvin or Jimmy Graham? Now, that's a fun question. Uh, you know, and it's a difficult one for me because I was ecstatic about both. Uh, I, I just thought that you are at, in both cases, you are adding just different caliber of athletes than I've seen, uh, you know, very often in, in a Seahawks uniform. I mean, obviously the tight end position we've, we talked about when we were doing our, our kind of our positional breakdown, top 100 Seahawks, uh, Corbin, you know, you and I talked about the wide receiver position. Now, so many of Seattle's top receivers have been kind of that 5'10", 190-pound, 4.55 kind of guy. And, and Percy Harvin, his electric speed, I mean, we saw the impact that he had in those, just those handful of games during Seattle's Super Bowl run. Um, and then with Jimmy Graham, I mean, my goodness, what an athlete. But uh, I, I sp- I'll have to go with Graham, I guess. And the reason why is I specifically remember when the news broke 
texting buddies and be like, your Seattle Seahawks just acquired all pro tight end Jimmy Graham. Get excited. It's on. And, and you know, obviously, in, in either case, did the players wind up being as productive as they were? But certainly there was a great deal of excitement, excitement when the Seahawks brought in both players. So I know that, Didi, that you did not throw this name in there, but the player that I was most excited about that got traded for was actually Sheldon Richardson back in 2017. Yep. I – absolutely thought that he was going to be a star on that defensive line and just getting away from New York. I thought the Seahawks would know how to best utilize his skill set, putting him next to Jaron Reed. And I think he was more disruptive than his numbers indicate, but he only had one sack in his lone season. It ended up just being a rental for a second round pick. So none of those three trades worked out as planned. And I honestly, I honestly think Jimmy Graham was the most successful of those three, even though plenty of fans have disdain towards him for his unwillingness or his disinterest in blocking. But you could make arguments that all three were disappointing to an extent, but that's probably the one I was most disappointed by because I really thought that Sheldon Richardson was going to be a guy that came in and not only dominated for one year, I thought he was going to be a guy they were going to pay to keep long-term and it just didn't happen Give me a shock of tweets. Hopefully football happens this season. If it doesn't, though, do you expect anything special or perhaps extra for fans in 2021 or whenever football can resume safely? How should the NFL approach resuming operations after a year off? That is an extremely difficult question because aside from maybe World War II, I can't think of any similar situation where you had football games that were lost like that. Yeah, that, that's a. I, I would love to to get paid to answer that question intelligently, so that uh, because I think that whoever is going to be able to foresee that uh, has a has a great deal of money that they're going to be making in uh, real estate investments and things of that nature. It's just it's a very difficult situation. But I, I think one of the things um, you know that 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 football fans can look forward to if there is no college football season. Um, then one thing for me from an NFL draft perspective that is intriguing is that the NFL is kind of unique and that they, their rule is that they can draft any person that they want as long as he is three years removed from his high school graduating class. So if they cancel college football this year, there still can be, and it's, it's currently scheduled, I've confirmed this in the last week, confirmed that, that the, the 2021 NFL draft is still very much on the books uh, and, and planned. So, um, so that is interesting. Um, I think specifically for the NFL, obviously, if there's no NFL football here, we're all going to be heartbroken. We all want to watch NFL football. Those of us who are, are fantasy football enthusiasts, there's a, there's a million different things. But I I think the Seahawks, in, at least in their own way, I think have done one important step in that they're giving their season ticket holders some, some flexibility. And I personally am not a season ticket holder, but I know people who are. And, and the flexibility that the season ticket holders have been given in Seattle, but not necessarily other places, is to either pay for this season or elect to, uh, to put it off for another year. And I think just by doing that is, again, showing that kind of sense of community. We're all in this kind of thing together. I think the Seahawks, and to a lesser extent, the NFL um, has been trying to do with its fans. So the NFL has had a contingency plan in place. I can't break down every detail because not all of it has been revealed to this point, but they catered the schedule to be set up where if they had to delay the start of the season, they could move some games to the back part of the schedule. That would eliminate the bye week between the championship weekend and the Super Bowl, and then they could push the Super Bowl back to the end of February. So they have contingency plans in place if they only have to lose a few games. But once you get beyond that point, 
I don't know if the NFL's got any other contingency plans for like an eight-game season or how they would approach uh, something that is much more abbreviated than losing a game or two. And if it gets beyond that point, I know the NFL does not have interest in playing in the spring, and that would really complicate things if they were wanting to play again in the fall in 2021. These guys need time to recover their bodies. So I, I don't know. Like you said, Rob, I think whoever can come up with an answer to that, if that's the situation that plays out, is going to make quite a bit of money because it's just unprecedented. You don't you don't see the NFL cancel a season. That just doesn't happen. And so if it does, we're going to be in completely unknown territory. And who knows what the NFL is going to do if it comes to that. When we return in the third quarter, we're going to look at two breakout players for the Seahawks, one on offense and one on defense, players that may be able to bust out with career years in 2020. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. Glad to have you joining us here on our Monday episode of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Over the last few weeks, we've had a chance to look at a number of potential breakout players for the Seahawks. We're down to only a handful left that we're going to be looking at. And today, it's very fitting that we're going to be discussing Rasheem Green because Pro Football Focus took some real shots at him and the Seahawks defensive line today. They came out with their rankings, and I'm not surprised by this with Clowney leaving, Quentin Jefferson leaving, Al Woods leaving, and really no major additions aside from drafting Daryl Taylor and bringing back Bruce Irvin and Benson Maioa. They really didn't have any big names that they brought in. Pro Football Focus ranked them 32nd out of 32 teams, and I can kind of understand the argument just based on the names they've got at the position, but I don't know about you, Rob, but Rasheem Green, for them to come after him the way they did in that article, I personally thought Rasheem Green had a really nice second season. He did. He's going to have an even better third season. I mean, this is a young player who is still just kind of growing into his body. And I, I, I like, like you said, Corp, when I understand that when you're going to have websites or, 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 or you know, people writing their opinions, obviously everybody has their own opinion. They're going to write about players. But when you have the analytic websites, I, I've always felt that they are slanted towards the passing game. And we've talked ad nauseum about how the Seahawks lack of a pass rush is a significant issue. At the same time, I, I would argue there were a lot of issues with, with this team and, and to suggest that the Seahawks defensive line, it would be 32nd. Uh, you know, the dead last in all of the NFL, I, I think is just a little bit comical, frankly. I, I just think that there's a lot more talent on this team. And then specifically w with Rasheen Green, and this is a young man who, again, he's only out, you know, coming off of his second season in the NFL. He, his first year, he hasn't started a single game. His he's younger year, than Daryl Taylor. <laughs> exactly. And in, in his, his second year, he starts half of the, half of the games. He, his, his tackle numbers, you know, are, are tripled. He, he leads the team in sacks now granted I mean, you're leading a team in sacks with four I mean that's not a lot obviously but at the same time to to kind of knock the the player that I think some of us who are paying attention think might be one of Seattle's rising breakout candidates I, I think again just shows a, a lack of paying attention to the tape and instead focusing too much on the statistics so they had him with 30 pressures on 376 rushes last year. And based on the film that I've watched, yes, there's too much inconsistency in every area of his game still. But 
again, he's just turned 23. This is still a very young player with a ton of physical and athletic upside. And I thought in his rookie season that he just kind of, he looked like a lost puppy out there when he got in the field. And then just like LJ Collier this past season, he had an ankle injury early in the year that cost him several games. And once he came back, he just couldn't get himself back into the rotation. And he was a healthy scratch for several games late in the year. But last year, you started to see some of those splash plays. The one that still jumps out to me, we know how incredibly athletic Kyler Murray is at the quarterback position. And Rasheem Green was able to chase him outside of the pocket and bring him down for a sack. I mean, that's as impressive of a sack as you're going to see in the NFL, chasing down one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the league, a guy that was drafted in multiple sports in Kyler Murray. And then he had another big play against the Eagles where he punched the ball out of Carson Wentz's hand on a strip sack. He actually had three forced fumbles last year, which to me is very encouraging because you're not only seeing him getting to the quarterback, but he's making turnovers happen when he gets there. So I saw a lot of those flash plays. Obviously, this kid there are still a lot of things he needs to work on. I think gap discipline as a run defender is something he struggles with in particular. I remember Kenyon Drake's 80-yard touchdown run against the Seahawks that he ran through a huge hole that was created in large part because Rasheem Green did not go to the correct gap. And that created a very compromised situation for Seattle's run defense. And Again, very inconsistent as a rusher. He disappeared at times, but I think you saw enough last year, enough of the promise this kid has. I think you see some more consistency, more development with his hand technique and just simply being an older player that I could see this guy making a jump where he can get eight or nine sacks for you and also be a very stout run defender at 280-plus pounds. Exactly. And that's why I think that ultimately he's going to be. Is I, I think that he's going to be maybe a 290-pound guy. I mean, as, as we talked about, he's 23 years old. When, when he was uh, – I mean, we did his, uh, his combine testing. He measured in 277 pounds. He's only gained a couple of pounds a couple of seasons in the NFL. Um, and I still think that he has that frame to add a little bit more more way I really think that you that that he is going to be one of those breakout players for Seattle this year I think that he's going to be playing a little bit more inside I, I think that you're going to see Seattle use a lot of of course Jaron Reed and Puna Ford inside but I think you're going to see Green in there as well um, and, and that and I think that that makes sense because you have the speedier edge rushers you mentioned Bruce Irvin and, and Mayoya coming back and obviously the rookies and Taylor, Taylor and Robinson all of those guys are in that 260 pound range I think that Seattle I was looking to have speedier guys on the edges and not so much those 320 pounders because nobody in this division with the exception of the 49ers and the Seahawks likes to run the football. They, they all want to throw the ball. And so I think that you're going to see Seattle kind of try and use a little bit more athleticism on the inside and green can be that guy. We know there's a lot of defensive line talent in the rest of this division. You've got Aaron Donald with the Rams, the best defensive lineman in the game, maybe the best defensive player in the entire game. San Francisco's got Bosa. They just drafted Javon Kinlaw. Armstead was re-signed. And then, of course, the Cardinals have Chandler Jones, maybe the most underrated player in the NFL, just cannot get any respect despite the fact that he goes out and gets – 19, 20 sacks seemingly every year. So that makes it the Seahawks offensive line, obviously, is going to be a big focal point. And we know there's going to be a lot of new faces up front no matter what happens. And that leads me to nominate Jamarco Jones here 
as a potential breakout candidate. And I think his name has kind of been lost to the shuffle here because we saw Damian Lewis get drafted in the third round. He's probably going to be your right guard starting from day one. Even without OTAs, he's coming from a really good program in LSU. Should be ready to go, ready to play snaps right away. Brandon Shell was signed to a two-year deal in free agency. He has started 40 games at right tackle. He is probably your guy replacing a Fetty. You've got Finney at center. And then left guard, you have Upati and Phil Haynes competing. Maybe you can throw Jones in there as well. But they've got so many bodies, it's kind of made it that Jones has been an afterthought. But I think people forget that this kid came in last year never having played guard at any level in his football career in a game, and he had his struggles as a run blocker. That's not really his game at under 300 pounds, but he played admirably in pass protection, making four starts at the guard spots. He had a couple misses against Chandler Jones when they played the Cardinals at left tackle, but overall had a solid game there as well. It seems like entering year three, he's another player that could come in and kind of surprise people and maybe find a way into the lineup somehow. Yeah, I think so. I think that right now he is your is your backup left tackle. Um, and so that in itself is, is is significant because we talked before about there were some players, uh, including some for the Seahawks, who who talked about maybe they didn't want to return. They, there were some concerns about their health. Well, it would be a shocker if Dwayne Brown actually did sit out the season, but he was among those players who, who has voiced some concerns. Um, and Jamarco Jones and the, the, the success that he had at the left tackle position while at Ohio State, obviously a you know a, a big time uh, you know college football program, and, and so you don't have the questions about the level of competition. You mentioned the the positional versatility, sly inside, not only the left guard but right guard as well. Uh, so it, it, to me, the way when we're talking about breakout players, it all kind of comes down to how you want to define that. I think that Jamarco Jones is among Seattle's five best offensive linemen. So I do think that he has a very, very good chance uh, of being a a member of Seattle's starting five. And if not, then I think that he is Seattle's most versatile offensive lineman. And so certainly would be that, that, that sixth man, that, that first guy off the bench that can basically fill a hole wherever you need him. And in some ways that makes him even more valuable than one of your starters. I mean, you look at the injury history for some of the players up front for Seattle, most notably Mike Upati. If he still ends up being your starter at left guard, he's had a bunch of injuries. He was healthy until the playoffs last year. But it just seems like, given the age of Dwayne Brown, Brandon Shell has not had a spotless history injury-wise either. He missed the end of a season a few years ago with a knee issue. He's had a shoulder injury earlier in his career. So, There are some guys that have some durability concerns. Dwayne Brown missed a chunk of games last year. I think the opportunities are going to be there for him to get in the field. I just don't know if he's necessarily going to be able to win a starting spot on day one because I'm in agreement with you with what Seattle looks for at the right tackle position. I don't know if he's best suited to play there, and I'm going to be dropping this film breakdown tomorrow, but – There are some things that intrigue me about Brandon Shell. Now that I've had a chance to look at more of his game film, that Jets offensive line was a disaster last year. But I don't think that he was really the big problem up front for them. And I see some things that are encouraging in his play, only 28 years old. So there are obstacles here. Honestly, I think Jones's best opportunity is probably going to be in a three-way competition against Upati and Phil Haynes at left guard. 
I think that's, yeah, I think that, that he would be, well, I don't know if I want to say the favorite because obviously the incumbent is returning your potty, but. We, and we I think that, Phil Haynes is the favorite personally. So. Yeah. And, and I, I'm a, such a big fan of, of Phil Haynes's game. I just want to see it actually translate, but you know, so, but I, again, I, I think that that is one of their strongest positions and, as I mentioned before, I, I really think that Jamarco Jones can be a left tackle in the NFL. I thought that George Fant could as well. Um, and, and so I think that that is a, the type of role that you can expect from Jones. If he is not a starter, then he potentially could be that, that move tight end. He can, there's a lot of different things this young man can do. And, and so I'm really excited about his future because, again, we, you and I both, or, and I certainly, was shocked when, when Seattle didn't uh, address their offensive line earlier in the draft, at least not for an offensive tackle. And so that leads me to believe that, that they really think that, that Jones does have that potential to be the, uh, you know, the, the starting left tackle in waiting behind Dwayne Brown. The only thing that's going to be an issue there now is he's already entering his third season. If he's not a starter this year, he's going to be entering the final year of his rookie contract when he's most affordable. And obviously he's not going to be breaking the bank most likely if he hasn't started a bunch of games. But look what happened with George Fant. George Fant just got a three-year, $30 million deal, and he hasn't started a ton of games in the NFL at the tackle spots. So it puts you kind of in a little bit of a bind. If he's your guy at left tackle, you'd like to see what he can do out of the field right now. And so obviously Pete Carroll's excited about having so much competition up there. He's excited to have so many capable bodies with an offensive line that's going to have a lot of new faces. But compared to Rasheem Green, I think it's a little, a little tougher road for Jones to be able to get in the field, whereas I think Rasheem Green right now, in week one as your starter at the base defensive end position. And LJ Collier is going to be making a run for it. But I think it's Rasheem Green's job to lose. Whereas Jones, I think, is going to have to play his way into the lineup or maybe hope for an injury and then capitalize on it because of his versatility, as we've mentioned numerous times. I'm very curious to see what it looks like, though, when we haven't had OTAs and mini camps. Might be tougher for guys like Damian Lewis to be able to come in and start right away. Maybe Jones gets a look there at the right side. He played some snaps at right guard last year. So very excited to see both these players in their third seasons come into training camp and see what they can do for the Seahawks. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked on Seahawks podcast, you can contact us, LockedSeahawks at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by visiting our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on our Tuesday episode, we're going to continue diving into our training camp preview. We're going to be looking at the offensive tackle position as well as on defense looking at the safety position. Really looking forward to breaking down starters, reserves, and maybe some wild cards at those two position groups. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks!